0: Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So before we get on with the normal episode, I want to continue to thank everybody who's listening to the episodes on, um, the episode on animation that I put out on Sunday, and the episodes, and all the episodes before that, Um, but the episode I put out on Sunday was a Sunday edition, so I want to put a special thanks out there. Um, now without further ado, I kind of just want to jump into it.
1: Yeah, Okay, I have a weird question for you guys.
0: How do you validate someone being an asshole in a show? How do you make a story service the idea that you should be okay with the main character being a complete and utter shitbag? Because that's not an easy thing to do, it's not easy to torture your main character and have them not be, like, a beacon of hope and justice like Naruto, people don't like seeing those kinds of stories. They don't like interacting with those kinds of people, even if life has shat on them and dragged them through the mud for seemingly no reason, nothing they've done at least. You still want a main character to be a good person, or to feel like they're a good person and um in shield hero they get around that by doing a whole bunch of things normally you would you would want to lampshade that you would want to lampshade heavily and what i mean by lampshade is when you're talking about when you involve something a storyline like slavery um and so it's there is a slave character in this show. The thing that you need to remember is that most people's most people's idea of slavery is highly negative, as it should be. Slavery is bad. But if you're going to write something about that, what lots of people will do is they'll say, we know this is bad, but... And that's what's called lampshading. It's, it's acknowledging the negative... Connotations of whatever story element you're trying to pull, and often you're trying to pull off in your main storyline of whatever it could be—a book, movie, TV, anime, anything—and oftentimes it doesn't—it doesn't work out real well. Like you still have a nasty feeling whenever you're watching the show because you know that thing's in it, um, but. I th- I'm of the opinion that lampshading works best when it's less of a "we know this is wrong" and more of a "everybody knows this is wrong." Fuck them. We're we doing it? And what I mean by that is, it the slavery conversation in Shield here in Rising of a Shield Hero* is really it's a force. It's a it's the show's way of forcing Naofumi to be together with another person who, story-wise, cannot betray him, so she won't. And that's um, Raftalia. We'll get to her in a second. But it's the story's way of forcing the its main character, who it has, by episode, I want to say, three, of Rising of a S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero basically shadow over so quickly and, like, with such reckless abandon that Naofumi, our main character in S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero, is not... Like, it, it, it happens so quickly that he doesn't see it coming and he doesn't see the logic, so, he you know... The way they describe him at the opening of the show is that he has otaku tendencies, and that he... It it just kind of, like, loafs around and does whatever he likes because, yeah, he's in university, but it's not that hard for him. And, you know, he's got a... He's got a great living situation, so he gets to indulge in, like, his nerdier side. But as somebody who... who has lived much like Naofumi in the past, what I can tell you is that Naofumi as a person probably isn't really challenged all that much by his life. He doesn't experience real hardship. The worst hardship he might experience is something sold out. And if you notice in his... in In the opening of the first episode, there's a... An impressive lack of other people alongside him. Like he, not like he has any friends. It's not like you see him have any social interactions at all. He just gets just finds a book book and gets whipped off into um, a fantasy land. But what that means is. Is you're set up to see him as a lonely guy who doesn't have a whole lot of interactions, and doesn't have a whole lot of, um, have have, have a whole lot of ability to pick up on context clues. So when the when the kind of like temptress of my attempts to not just attempt but succeeds for most of the series to frame him for her rape. I uh, it it makes sense that he didn't that he doesn't catch it. That he it, it A it makes sense that he doesn't doesn't catch it, but B it also makes sense that he, she can't use the normal like, hey, let's grab a drink thing with him because he's not reading into the context clues that she's trying to like ...throw at his head to be like, hey, I want to spend time with you. Granted, so I can frame you for sexual assault, But he, do- he doesn't pick up on it. And so that sets up a character for this show... ...who already has a misunderstand- uh ...a shaky understanding of contact cl- clues and relationships and, you know, interpersonal skills, and then the show immediately shits on him, immediately frames him for sexual assault, and then it spirals out from there. And in doing that, and in doing it in such a big, bombastic way, one way is, one thing people will say is it, it's a way for the show to be attention grabbing, like the first episode of Goblin Slayer, which that show took me like one episode to be like, eh, no, no. And I haven't seen anything from Goblin Slayer since that made me be like, "Yeah, I'll go watch that. It seems like a like a like an overly straight, silent man comedy thing that I'm not about. Um, call me when that when that Slayer talks and doesn't grunt. But, um, or, ta- like, talks like a human and not like a goblin killing machine. But, um, the thing about the immediate abuse of Fumi and the, like, so fast you get whiplash abuse of Fumi is that they keep pushing that further, first with Raftalia because he needs someone to go adventuring with, and no one out and no one will party with him because he's been framed, and so he turns to a slave trader who preys on him. And it's very clear that this like fucking bargain basement Earl of Darkness from D Gray Man is definitely like I spell a sucker. Um, I really like that idea of like a bargain basement D Earl of Darkness from D Gray Man, um, but. Generally speaking, that part of the story—the first, the first, the framing for sexual abuse part of the story—is deeply, deeply, deeply like insensitive and a failure to read the room and uh, to to read the room of the universe at the time the show came out, which was in two thousand nineteen. But I think the reason why they did that and why they ultimately used the slave, um, story, part of the story, the slave trader part of the story, is because they want, they want to set up a scenario in this show, where, by the way, the show came out in two thousand nineteen, so like it was, it was in full swing of like. You know, sexual harassment is a thing, and we need to need to acknowledge it. So, like, it was, it was, it was, and still is in the conversation of Me Too. In that, like, victims should be believed, but they may they make sure that you, especially by the end of the of the show. So far, I know that's both being season two coming, but with the coronavirus delays. Who the hell knows when that's going to happen? Um, but by the end of season one of Shield Hero, it's really clear that you know, my was being my was being an asshole. My my was just straight up being a power hungry bitch, and they make it super clear that this is the story we're telling were not necessarily interested in getting in conversation with, you know, yet. And they make sure that, you know, like, yes, everybody believes Mai because why wouldn't you believe that? that there'd been no reason demonstrated to believe, to not believe Mai unless you know exactly who she is, and very few people in the storyline really do. But, um, so there... Use of Raftalia as the, like, slave child who... So this is another thing. This is another, like, lampshade. This is a thing that they didn't lampshade that I want to call attention to. They, in Shield Hero, Raftalia is purchased as a slave to be a member of Nalfumi's party, but the way the show treats their relationship, it's like... It feels like Naofumi is raising her like his daughter so he can marry her a little bunny drop style. That's not like they don't feed into any of that, but the circumstances create that feeling pretty quickly. (laughs) And the. The implication is there, is what I'm saying, and it's like that's the one thing that always gave me like ooh, um, feelings that didn't go away and weren't, um, what's the word? Weren't abetted, but weren't calmed by the actual storyline. But the device of having a slave who can't betray you, somebody, of having. A person in your party, a a person who will stand next to you, who literally, in no way humanly possible, can betray you because once they do, they die, gives Naofumi a safe relationship. And it gives somebody, it gives him somebody who he, A, has no reason to push away, B, doesn't, like, can't push away because he needs them and they need him. So what that what that mo- moment when he buys Raftalia off of Bargain Basement, Earl of Darkness, whose name I really don't remember, I just, that's how I remember him in my brain, um, sets up a path to him becoming okay with everything, with all the bullshit life has thrown at, that this show has thrown at him, and probably life has thrown at him, because when you see him in the first episode before he gets, with the, before he gets, um, truck-cooned, be a, be a book, is what I would say, um, I, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't have a lot of personal relationships he does you don't it's not like you see him talking to people at at any point before he gets transported and yeah, that was a small amount of time, but you get the feeling that it's not that that was not an abnormal thing for him um, and he so throughout the show you have a character who the world has, who the world that he is supposed to save had treated like shit for a large part of the show, and you have people who treat him like shit because of things he's never done that that he's never done that previous Shield heroes have done. The other the other three cardinal heroes of the four cardinal heroes in this show are idiots well actually i should take that back there's only one guy who's an idiot and that's the spear hero and he's less an idiot and more a naive 20 year 21 year old college doofus who's like oh that lady has good tits let's listen to her and the other two are high schoolers, and their main understanding of the way the world works, is, of the way this world is supposed to work is it's like a video game. And so the dumbass fear hero keeps meaning to do something right, but because he's taking his orders from my, who's a deeply manipulative, as her own mother called her, "sociopathic liar." Um, nothing works the way it should when the spear hero does it, and it fucks up. And then you have the sword hero, who's... I forget their names, but you have the sword hero who, who, and I really like this touch. They they don't just leave the heroes in like that in like off screen. Things for very long after a certain point in the show, there's a um, rumor that the sword hero slays a dragon, but he leaves the corpse to rot, and it causes like a plague in the nearby village. And now Fumi and his party of um, Philo, which is a, who's like a mount slash little girl, of course, um, that. He picks up from the same slave trader who is definitely out for money from him um and Raftalia have to clean that mess up, and Raftalia ends up getting getting a curse put on her because of that. um the spear hero gives people a seed that turns into a giant monster tree. they have to deal with that, and the bow hero ends up liberating a town without understanding the political consequences of doing that, and it makes it the same but worse. Uh, And all along the way, you see that until maybe the last third of the show when the Queen shows up, you see that now Fumi, and even when the Queen shows up, because episode twenty-five of this show, the very end, is the, episode twenty-five of this show, the end of the season, uh, poses the question of whether or not Now Fumi really wants to be doing what he's doing at all, and we'll get to that in a second. But all along this, all throughout this show, a You see the ramifications of people not, of people jumping in and not asking questions. The same way they did when Naofumi was framed for sexual assault. They jumped in, they didn't ask the questions. They didn't ask, they they didn't do what ultimately the queen does, which is force her daughter to tell the truth force her daughters to get on the stand and tell the truth in a way that does not go well for her daughter, Um, but also does, but also reveals the fact that there's a lot of, like, little holes in this fucking argument, in the stories she tells. There's a lot of, like, little things that she just doesn't, that she knows that someone isn't going to pay attention to so she doesn't call attention to them, but as soon as you do, her stories start to fall apart. The result is everybody realizes that, like, oh, the shield hero is actually an okay dude. And the shield hero, as Fumi kind of... He's still standoffish, but he's, by that point in the show, has grown enough to be like, it's not everybody's fault that Maya is a lying asshole. It's really only the spear hero's fault for believing her so hard. The shield the um sword hero and the bow hero were both already coming around to the side of like, maybe this guy in a deplorable dirt bag, maybe he had some ideas. At, but the trust is a hard thing to build and when you lose it so immediately, like it was lost between the four heroes in the beginning of the show. They don't really want... To, none of them has a incentive, really, to rebuild it. So when the Queen basically cons them into the same room and is like, okay, sit here and talk and, like, share your secrets and shit, none of them want to do it. Be, not only because they don't trust me, but because they don't trust each other because Naofumi up till the up till that point in the show has been fixing all of their fuck-ups and like being like hey dude clean up the dead body of a giant dragon you kill or else it will rot and cause poison to seep into the world around it and so the bow here is like you're a moron and then Naofumi would immediately turn around and go And stop liberating towns that you don't know that they have a better government to turn to. Because that didn't go well. And now the Bose hero is made to look like an idiot. And everybody generally accepts that the spear hero is a moron because he is. And granted, none of these people have, like, any special place in hell for each other. But they all don't trust each other. And... because now Fumi was kind of thrust into being untrustworthy by the story immediately, he, you you see his point of view and they show they show you that like he didn't do anything wrong. He only he, he the only thing that he the only thing that he does is help the only thing that he does is begrudgingly help people, and he talks down to people because they literally aren't asking the questions they need to ask. Like, when he saves the town from the killer tree monster, he's like, "Did did you wonder about this magical seed that you have all these legends about that is bad? because in the villagers were like no uh, uh, one of the cardinal heroes brought it for us the the beer hero brought it to us we thought it would help and he's like what you you have scrolls in a library that say this thing is evil why would you put it in the ground and water it and it it he comes off like somebody who he comes off in a real way, and I think this is probably a credit to not only the author, Anako Yusagi, but also um, Takao Abdo, the director. He comes off as somebody who has a reason to talk down to people, and but also the only reason he is thinking about things in that way is because he has gone through all the bad shit as a result of not doing that. Um, So, for example, most of the way, you know, kids learn stuff is by doing and fucking up. And uh, this is an extreme example, but nobody knew that fire would burn you until somebody touched fire. Maybe, we, maybe they had an inkling like, I bet something bad happens to me. Because something bad happened to everything else. But some, at some point in history, someone touched fire and everybody was... And they were like, oh, that was a bad idea. Maybe we should not do this anymore. Maybe we should teach everybody don't touch the fire. And in Nafumi's case, he learned not to touch the fire by touching the fire. Like an idiot. And but everybody else around him is like has never seen fire and only thinks it's a warm glowy thing. Does that make any sense? And so this show sets up our shield hero sets up the idea that now Fumi has gained like actual experience going through the world, going through the, the the kingdom and not by just allowing himself to sit cloistered as one of the four cardinal heroes and just be just be what he just, instead of just going out and actually adventuring you get you get the understanding that the four that the other three heroes are going around with these big groups of other adventurers who are helping them they're getting the best of everything at all times. They are—they aren't like sleeping on the side of the road. They—they they don't have to go get, say, a merchant's license so they can tr- travel the country and trade wherever they wherever they are holed up. They don't—they are already beloved by villages when they get there, not because they saved the village from the wave. And that's the next—that's the next thing I want to talk about. The wave, the like. Very clearly, video game mechanics of this, of this show and the fact that all the characters, including Naofumi, all know they're in a video game. Including, and like, the quote-unquote what you would call NPC characters, the side characters, like the king, the queen, all these people, all understand they're like in a video game world. And like, all this stuff has video game rules. And they, so they use that, at first it's like a fun joke that the show is in on, is in on itself, it knows it's a trapped-in-the-game anime without the, like, game, without, the, without you seeing the game. But what it also does is it uses that to create a video game rule that lots of times these games, these shows don't do like for example if you've ever seen something like um well if if you've seen Sword on online Sword on the second season and Gungale online are better about this but the first the first season of Sword on online is bad at it and that is Oftentimes in video games, there are pre-programmed events that will happen and trigger at certain times. The best way to see this happen is actually in a show called Log Horizon, which I think S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero borrows a lot from, but not enough, and I'll get to that in a minute. But in S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero, there are these calamity waves that sweep across the world. And and they're at set times, and the, so in order to battle Calamity Waves, you need to summon the four cardinal heroes, which are why the four heroes, the shield, spear, bow, and sword heroes are all there. But the... All the weapons repel each other, so they can't train together. Which means the show sets up a way that sets up a device that says, If these guys start off as hating each other, they're not gonna travel together. It's not gonna get much better which is what happens. But also, the cardinal heroes have to fight the waves. And what's supposed to happen is each one of the four what you find out at the end of the show by the end of the show is that what's supposed to happen is each one of the four cardinal heroes is supposed to be summoned by a different country. And each country gets its own hero to help them fight off the waves. So, but in this, but in this, but this time, one country summoned all four, which already fucks up the balance, which means that any place with what they call dragon hourglass, which is their, like, Countdown, which is the countdown to the moon falling mechanic, can experience a calamity wave, and the but the way that the story has all the four heroes summoned by the same country makes it very clear that all the four heroes have to show up to the same damn place to deal with a wave for the first couple waves, and each and each. And none of the heroes really get along. They all do their own thing. So these waves function as this, like, check-in of, like, oh, are we all still fucking a mess? Yes. And they always, like, escape it with Naofumi's help by the skin of their teeth. And it's just... So at this point, I want to, since I touched on the video gaming mechanics of this... I wanna talk about why I think the Shield Hero doesn't succeed. Where I think it doesn't succeed. And that is it's really interesting when it's dealing with the like pain Naofumi's pain points of not feeling like he can trust anyone. And when they when they introduce vectors of like Oh, you can't trust the Pope because the Pope's doing something shifty. I don't know what, be he's doing something shifty. Oh, or you can't trust the spear hero because he's an easy manipulated fucking rube. And when it's dealing with Naofumi and his relationship towards others and his mistrust of others, it's, an inter- it's a much more interesting show than when it's just kind of like fantasy LARPing bullshit. And when it's dealing with, when it's trying to explain the, when it's dealing with the, like, video gaminess of stuff, it feels, there are certain points at which it feels just as fun as, like, the cooldown meter shenanigans in the beginning, in, like, the second episode of Log Horizon. Which, if you've never seen Log Horizon, and you like Shield Hero, I really um, encourage you to... Go check it out. You can find it on Crunchyroll. Uh, You can find it... I believe you can find it all on Crunchyroll. But um, Log Horizon is one of the best, if not the best, trapped in a game anime, isekai anime I've ever seen. Because they're all very aware of, like... They're like, oh, we're stuck in this fucking game. Does everything still work the same? Just about... Let's get down to business. But when they have the conversation about when they do figure out little tidbits of each other's, of the abilities of all the weapons that they've all discovered on their own, and now Fumi tries one of them out, like copying weapons that are the same as his own, it ends up being like a really cool moment of where he's like, Yeah, huh? that does work. That's neat. I should share more. And those are when it's blended perfectly together. They also... They have a really great arc for Raftalia in this show. Raftalia goes from being a scared little girl to being a really confident, really fiercely defensive of someone she cares for woman. The, like, breeding... The, like, breeder... Slave Sing is definitely there, but as a female character, she is really, really strong. Uh, and But the one thing I'll say is, like I said, when they veer into just being kind of about the, like, lore of the world, or, like, we gotta go fight the fucking Pope, it starts to be a slog. And... Which is a shame because I think when there are dealing when when the show is dealing with the consequences of its own cast or dealing with try or dealing with the plot trying to build Nalfumi back up from being smashed to zero, the show I think the show does really 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 well and it does a lot to help it. it it does a lot really well when it's interested, when it feels like it's doing what it's interested in and when it's, and not when it's just going about business, getting to the next plot point. And um, case in point, what I would say about the show is that it doesn't really have any filler, which is good because it's only 25 episodes, but, you know... 25 episode long seasons can have filler, trust me. Um But it it has points that feel like filler, that feel pointless, that feel like the writing could have been tighter. And yes, there was there were little bits and pieces of the story proper embedded in that, in those little tiny like episode long arcs or whatnot. But they're not. They they're not they're not integral to that to that piece of the story and could get taken out and put later or earlier. So you feel, so so it, the whole thing feels tighter and it feels like it's got less air in it. If that makes any sense. And the thing I noted, the place I noticed this was the the most was. Actually with the with the kind of character that they lead into the end of the first season with, which is um uh which is actually a character named Glass. They introduced Glass as like the big boss villain in like early on in the show. And then by the end of the show you realize that Glass is summoned by a different fantasy world to make sure that the calamity waves go off, go off magnificently, like they destroy everything. And that, and you meet all these, and by then you have met these other two side characters who are also summoned heroes for that purpose. And that's where you get to Fumi's feelings of like, do I even really want to do this? Is this world worth it? And so like, I've, Talked about this before in, um, in the Sunday episodes, um, specifically the one on Underworld anime, but the thing that this show does perfectly and flawlessly is it writes a character who's an asshole. Like, Naofumi is, because of the, wor- the way the world has treated him, not a good person. The way he saves Mai from being executed is he's like, from this day forward, because of her crime, she'll be known as bitch and or whore. (laughs) And they like, they stick to that. There's a scene after that episode where they're like, Mai, I mean whore. (laughs) And it's, it's like... It's like the kind of fun fourteen year old juvenile humor bullshit, but it also is like, yeah, now Fumi has grown, but he's he's like he's still not okay with everybody. Like he's still not cool and probably won't ever be cool ever. Um entirely. But by when the show introduces and I, I think it's a shame that it the season cuts at this point. When the show introduces the fact that there's, huma- that there's humanity on the other side and not just big skeleton monsters, it adds a dimension where Naofumi, who has already been taught that thinking about, thinking about the consequences of actions in this fantasy world, makes sure that you can get the best possible result for every single breathing thing involved. Um, and that he knows there is a huge amount of racism in baked into the world around him um based on the cho treatment of demi humans as basically black people during the time of Jim Crow, <laughs> if not worse um but the thing is is that once that factor of humanity being introduced to the to the other side of the coin on the calamity on the calamity wave it here the character is forced to think about like is this is this really what i want to do is this the right thing what's going to happen to these other human people if we win you know can i trust the can, can i trust the people who have fucked me over to, like, have... to, like, follow the rules of war in a place where there clearly are no rules of war. And, you know... That, plus the thing with the Pope, and plus his experience at the very beginning of the show, all mixed together to to make this person who is... Not necessarily who who's just trust who's, doesn't trust the things that are put in front of him, just because some someone of importance put them in front of him. If that makes any sense, this this show wants to be the kind of video game where you're allowed to not trust the NPC who gives you the quest. Where, but also, it wants to be the kind of show. Where the NPC who gives you the quest isn't the villain, but is like working in a, working in a framework where they don't know the entirety of it. And it, it has things to say about, and I think that this is interesting because if you look at um, the studio that did this, uh, the studio that did this show, um, Crema Citrus. I, they've done stuff like starlight review but they've also done s- stuff like show by rock largely stuff that's like pop it's like pop candy so this this is kind of surprising from them that they would make something that's essentially about the importance of asking questions and of looking at something harder than just a glance at it because at first at face value If you're summoned as as one of the four cardinal heroes, you're like, oh, I was summoned here given a cool weapon. Let's go fight the bad guys. But the beginning of the show and all the stuff of the show Lampshade is really just there to break one of those cardinal heroes out of that cycle and put him on his own trajectory without the other three. Because they this show wants to a certain extent to uh, to almost the entirety of the extent to be about you know a hero who asks questions a hero who doesn't just blindly go do the, go do what's in front of him it wants so i'm playing the i'm playing the new Naruto Ninja Storm well not the new Naruto Ninja Storm 4 game and First off, Naruto is a lot. Naruto has always been a lot, but Naruto is a lot. (laughs) But I, and I've experienced the, like, final part of Naruto as a show, but I always forget this. Naruto as a show is so much about people fucking up before the main characters are ever even born. People like it. It goes back to like the second Hokage being a racist, Trump esque asshole, and like the first Hokage just having a freaking argument with his best friend that escalates into a newborn being implanted with a evil fox spirit d- decades later, and it it introduces this idea of like by the end of Naruto you see all the ramifications of all these people who could have just been like you know what if I just who didn't ask the question of what if I just you know sat down we poured some tea and you know Hashirama and Madara just had a like a friendly conversation (laughs) like everybody was like We're going to seal this room so you can't use chakra. Don't come out, and you're not allowed out until you work this shit out. In Shield Hero, Naofumi seems much more interested in seeing how everything can work together than just blindly taking the directives that's given to him. And it's... it got a little bit of a Jesus complex thing with him in the show eventually, but it's clear that he's the only one who's asking these questions out of the four important people in the room. He's the one who's like, ah, what's the bad guys are just doing what they're told for some end and they don't really, and they're being lied to. Like, what does this mean? And I I just, I, I find it, I find it interesting that there's a show that wants to use A, like a shonen power creep formula and be a isekai show, to, uh, an isekai show format to be about teaching somebody that they should ask questions and, te- and teaching a greater world that they should question what they're seeing and not just trust that the people in power know what they're doing because as... Everyone in the world right now knows the people in power usually are the last people who know what they're doing. And it's just it, it's an interesting I'm don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that like this show is beyond reproach and without fault, but I, I think that it's an interesting character like way to treat your character and way to create a character arc that is Unique that is not unique but different from a lot of other um isekai shows. So, on that note, uh, if you like this episode, you can follow, you can subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to this episode on right now. If you would leave a five star review in iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. That would be great. It really helps the show. I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And until next time, I'll talk to you on Sunday.
1: ため酒そう